You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network, geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. And with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Hi, this is Bob Burton, creator of Flaming Carrot, Mystery Men, and also a hair club president. And you are listening to Nerdy Show. I don't always drink those Ekes, but when I do, I drink it with skeletons. <laughs> Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Jess. And we're coming to you from a hotel room in San Diego, California, because we are currently attending San Diego Comic-Con. Woo! Yes! However, this episode is not necessarily about Comic-Con. Jess and I will have chronicled our adventures at Comic-Con in articles on Nerdy Show, which you should totally check out. We'll have a link on this episode's page to a concise list of all the coverage we've posted. This episode is actually largely going to be about Heroes Con, the most awesome comic book-specific convention that there is. And um, it happened in June. I hosted uh, three panels. One of the panels I liked enough that uh, we're posting it as an episode. This is a discussion that I had with Scotty Young, who is an artist-writer of a lot of books, including, but not limited to, the little Marvel books, Avengers vs. X-Men, and uh, Rocket Raccoon, and the forthcoming Why I Hate Fairyland. When we get back from that, then you'll hear more from Jess and I. But uh, without further ado, here is the panel that I moderated with Scotty Young at this year's Heroes Con. Hello. This is Scotty Young, by the way. So you've had some lines. Busy this weekend. I assume you all could agree this is easily the best comic book show in the entire country. <laughs> People who come here actually care about comic books, which is actually really rare now. Yeah, it is. It is really cool to walk into a room as big as this convention and, and see about seventy-five percent artist tables, you know, yeah. or creator tables, you know, and the other. That would be retailers, and it's all comics, all artists, all creators. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Careers are made here. Absolutely, they are. But your career is made, and it's uh, <laughs> gotten super specific lately. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I believe the panel's called, uh, like, Babies and Raccoons. So, um, is, is that what the panel's called? It's something, something like that. I didn't it's name it. It's something to be in rooms at certain times. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's talk babies first. Sweet. You've kind of made a thing out of it. Uh, remind me, when was your first... Marvel baby related thing. It's interesting the history of this and how big they've gotten because 
It was probably 2009 when Marvel did an actual X-Babies miniseries. Greg Shegel wrote it, Jacob Shabbat drew it, and they asked me to do covers for it. So that was an actual miniseries. It was called X-Babies, and I did covers. It was a four-shoe miniseries. I did covers for that. It kind of came and went, and people dug it, but it, you know, that's about the, sure. the coolness. <laughs> and this is interesting. I don't know how many people that come to Heroes will know about this. It was probably 2010. We were in Chicago, uh, Jason Latour and Shelton, who owns Heroes. We were staying at the same hotel as I was in Chicago, and we said, hey, and Shelton really quick said, hey, you want to do the badges this year for Heroes? Come on. I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be really cool. Because for artists, it's always really cool to get to, you know, it's one of our kind of goals is we want to be one of the people to do the badges for Heroes Con because they're always such cool art. So when Shelton asked me, I was like, oh, I've made it. You're going to do the badges for Heroes <laughs> And so we got back and, uh, and Shelton reached out and said, hey, let's do, how about we do uh, like X-Babies? Let's get a different X-Baby on each Marvel badge. So I did the badges. They, they went off. It was great. Everybody really dug them. Uh, it's like my most favorite image online. It's <laughs> one of those crazy things that went crazy. And I never really thought anything of it past that. And then a couple of years later, 2012, so it's about two years later, Marvel was doing Avengers vs. X-Men, their big summer event, and Midtown Comics wanted to do an exclusive variant for their store. And they asked George if I was available, and they said, yeah, and uh, I can't remember if it was Midtown or George, but one of them said, hey, I I saw those, you know, this image, that image online that he did for those badges, Uh, could we, let's do, let's have him do like Marvel babies, it really spawned just from a series of kind of wacky, like, what about this, and and I thought I would do that one cover for Midtown. It was a double spread. It had about 35 characters on it, I think. And I didn't think much of it other than it was a really cool thing to draw. And we did it. And I think Midtown might have sold like a billion of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's they, a lot. Yeah, it, it, I, and, and once Midtown sold so many so fast, I think Marvel was like, huh. <laughs> maybe we should do that too. And so uh, the ti- again, the timing happened to be really, really really good because Marvel was doing their uh, Marvel Now initiative where they were kind of shuffling around all the great creators and everybody was getting new books and so they were kind of relaunching all these new books and and it was a perfect time so they said hey do you want to do 10 covers and I you know at this at this time you know just to give you a little bit of perspective you don't get 10 cover assignments you usually you get one or you're the regular cover artist so that means like once a month you'll do a cover for that book. But it's it's pretty rare for somebody to come up to you at one time and say, do you want to do 10 covers? It just doesn't really happen. So I was like, oh my, 10? I don't even know what that is. That's a very large number. Yeah, and so I was like, oh, 10, I guess. So I thought, well, I'll do 10, and then everybody will get very tired of this shtick. And, you know, which I love. I think it's great, right? But I was like, yeah, famous last words. Yeah, I thought I'll, I'll do ten, and everybody's gonna be like, okay, enough with this. And so I did those ten, and about the time I got to eight, I thought, oh, just two left. Then they called up, hey, do you want to do ten more? I was like, do twenty covers. I was like, I, okay. And then it just became kind of like, at first a running joke, like about every two weeks. Because I was doing one a week, and sometimes I do two a week, and then it got, kind of became a running joke. Where as soon as I would get about four within my goal, George would email and say, "Do you want to add two more? Do you want to add four more?" And eventually, I was just like, "Just quit asking me. I'm always going to say yes." <laughs> um, and yeah, so that was 2012, and here we are in 2000, 
halfway through 2015, and I think I've done maybe 130 or something like that. And you're going to make a book? A baby book? <laughs> um, I don't think people have gotten tired of me yet. If they have, they're not telling me. <laughs> so that's the quick uh, history of how they came to be. I had no idea that it was uh, cultivated in such a weird roundabout way. That's yeah, it's amazing. Just, it's, 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 it kind of shows what happens when people get to kind of do what you like to do. And it's yeah. kind of pure and there's something honest and fun about it. And, and then it just kind of, those kind of things float up, you know. Well, then on the opposite end of the spectrum with Marvel and you, mm -hmm. You're uh, working on Rocket Raccoon. Yes. Which is a fantastic book. Uh, is everybody reading it? Yeah. Please, please tell me you're reading it. Um, how'd you end up with that assignment? Did you ask for it? Uh, yeah, kind of, actually. For those who don't know, I spent about five and a half years with Eric Schanauer adapting the Wizard of Oz novels by L. Frank Baum. And we adapted six of those. And sold really well and won some awards. And it was this really cool thing to mm. do these kind of fantasy books in Marvel and have them be so well received. But, you know, after five and a half years of the same project, I started to feel a little antsy to do something new. And so L. Frank Baum's last book was supposed to be six. That was kind of the natural ending. And it ended up being way more like 40 some books or something. Yeah. But we felt that that was a pretty natural stopping point. So... We, we stopped, and then I was talking with CB. I think we were coming back from a college talk we were giving, and we were in the airport in the lounge, and he's like, well, what do you want to do, do next? And uh, <laughs> I just said, uh, I don't know. What, whatever I want to do, I want to start writing my own stuff, and I think I want to do at least some of the humor characters. So I said, maybe I'll do a Deadpool or maybe like a Rocket Raccoon or a character like that. Now, again, this was, a, this was maybe two years ago when this conversation happened. So this was... No trailers for Guardians of the Galaxy was out yet. Guardians of the Galaxy, the movie, was still very much um, like, I think they're making it. That was kind of the... A gleam in his daddy's eye. Yeah, as far as the public knew. Like, we knew it was being made, but there wasn't a ton of information out when I, I was having this conversation. So I didn't even really know that much about the movie stuff. I just knew it was happening, and we were just starting to get casting news, right? Like, mm. we are just starting to find out who's in it. It was around the time that Brian and Steve McNiven launched the latest Guardians of the Galaxy series. So that, around that issue number one, I thought, oh, well, cool, Rocket Raccoon's like a character now. Any of the cool, weird, off-center characters that are available, I would love to get a piece of them. So I had my own Deadpool or Rocket Raccoon because I like doing humor stuff. And um, everybody thought the Rocket Raccoon idea was pretty good. And so they were like, oh, cool, let's do that. And it was kind of a similar situation where it was supposed to just be a four-issue miniseries. And um, sometime right before I started working on it, I would just really flippantly was like up to the editors of Marvel, like, hey, I think this is gonna be fun. Like, I almost said it jokingly, like I thought they'd say no. And I was like, why don't you guys just let me do an ongoing? And they're like, okay. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I've never written an ongoing. <laughs> I kind of was pretending, and now I gotta do it for real. I just asked for it, and it was kind of good timing. And then I had to wrap up Oz still, so it was still wrapping up. And so the timing of it actually ended up being fantastic because I took a little longer on that last Oz than I had planned, but it worked out because the release date of Rocket Number One was the same week <laughs> that the movie opened. So it was like a perfect time. Yeah, it really worked out for me. I'm so it, it did seem on purpose yeah. from the outside. Yeah, it, yeah. It seemed like, like, look at this genius, but it's like. He took so long in his other thing. Oh, look at the perfect timing. <laughs> now, you said that was your first ongoing you'd written. Mm -hmm. I'm not familiar with you as a writer. 
Yeah, I started maybe in 2006 or seven. Again, um, most of my career is very much me asking to do things that people probably should say no to me doing. So, you know, when I very first started, you know, back then, all pencilers had inkers mostly. You know, it was, mm. it was always a pencil and always an inker. And I didn't know if I could ink well, but I was like, oh, can I ink myself? And they're like, can you? And I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. Then I started coloring myself or do my coloring my own cover, you know, all these things. And then, Eventually, they, they asked me to draw a um, Legion of Monsters story. They were doing kind of a fifth-week event for Halloween in, in, like, 2007, I think. And they said, uh, do you want to do a Legion of Monsters story? I was like, yeah, if you let me write it. And they were like, all right, don't mess it up. <laughs> it's like, this is really crazy. Every time I ask for things, they just say yes. So uh, that was one of the first times where they said yes. I wrote a Monster Frankenstein story. Everybody was kind of like, oh, Kind of right, you know? It's kind of funny, right? We spend all this time, I read hundreds of scripts and draw hundreds of pages. And at some point, you just start understanding how story works and how scripts work. And so that led to Nick Lowe, who is one of the senior editors at Marvel. He started to give me little short stories. Like every time there was an X-Men event, they would do Divided We Stand. Or they would, you know, they would kind of do a little like short story anthology collection to go along with that event which was a perfect chance to give chances to new writers and, yeah. and artists. And it's been some really fun stuff coming out of those. Yeah, So, and for me it was great because 20 pages is an interesting space to tell a story, but 8 pages, is that's a very difficult unit to try to tell a, a complete story. 8 pages. Yeah. You know? No one should ever underestimate how difficult it is to do short subject yeah, work. It is so hard, you know, because mm. you really have to compress and be pointing no space the way. So I did a few of those. And each time I would do one, everybody was kind of like, oh, you really have an interesting perspective on these things. You write this character school. So I would just keep doing short stories here and there. And, and at first I was drawing them. And then I did another X-Men story. And they said, oh, do you really want to just write it? And I was like, oh, that'd be really cool. So I did a short story with uh, Dan Panosian, who just, it was just awesome. And then that led to my first mini series that I wrote that I didn't draw was uh, Magneto, Not a Hero. So it was just a Magneto story where I kind of brought the old Joseph back from the 90s. Yeah. Like man, the, Mag- you know, the Magneto clone. I think I actually stayed away from it because of that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> what I, happened? Tell me. I, well, that's the thing. I'm a kid of that era, right? So I grew up on those books. And I just thought, the interesting thing when you do a book about a character who's a major character in a main book, right? Mm. So you have Magneto, who's a major character at that time. Kieran Gillen, I think, was writing the X-Men book. And Magneto was a big player in that. So you kind of have to try to figure out how to tell a story, but put the toys back where you got them. Right. It's like, it's like your kids, right? Like, put it back where you found it, you know? So you got to go take, tell a story. You can't really change them a lot, but you have to toy with them a lot. So I thought it'd be an interesting... And at the time, Magneto was good. Magneto was just starting to become the good guy in the X-Men, <laughs> in, in, the, in the X-Men proper. But I think he was getting a little too good. So Nick Lowe kind of posed the question like, I want you to tell a story that shows that Magneto, while he might be good, is still Magneto, mm. you know? So it was really a story about that old clone coming back and kind of not being right. These human murders start happening, and of course it looks on camera like it's Magneto doing it. Mm. So it's basically, the at the time, the Avengers and everything kind of yell at the X-Men and say, you need to take care of this. So it's, it's just a kind of a stolen identity story with some really wacky characters and 
just a really fun thing. And you know, it was, it was it was funny. It sounds really serious. No, it's not. It's not funny. It was just weird. <laughs> it was weird because of like uh, he made like a weird mutated Brotherhood of Evil mutants. Oh, so I mean, listen. Here's the here's the here's, I, I'm getting all heady with it. Really, all you need to know is in the last issue. There's two Magnetos fighting each other, and they're throwing planes at each other. Wow, okay. Yeah. Is that how you sold it? Yeah, they're literally throwing, <laughs> they're throwing trains, subway trains at each other, and he literally reaches up in the sky and throws a plane at the other one, so... All right. That's all you need to know. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's yes. a good sell. Yeah. So I did that. That was a miniseries. I've written some Deadpool one-shots for you know Deadpool team-up back when they were doing Deadpool team-up. And then from there on, it just kind of was, you know, every now and then I would write a little short or a one-shot or anything. And then So by the time that the Rocket thing came up, it wasn't a what-if anymore. Now right. it was just like, oh, no, we, we like what he does. It was just a matter of him asking us, uh, pitching us projects, you know. You've done a lot of different kinds of stories with uh, with Rocket. Like every micro story arc within it has a very different vibe. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite of the ones you've done so far? Oh man, well, I gotta say, I mean, probably the one I'm most proud of because it was a real challenge, and I was pretty nervous to know or, or to see if it worked. Was uh, it was issue number five? Rocket had been sentenced to kind of almost community service in a way to pay back all the, the X's that he had done wrong in the first arc. Yeah. And so in this, him and Groot were out with kind of some Boy Scouts at a campsite. So that was kind of some of their community service was uh, watching over these Boy Scouts, camping with them. And they're all really excited and they want Rocket to tell them another story around the campfire. And he's like, no, nah, I don't want to tell that story or whatever. So Groot tells a story to the kids. <laughs> and it's, uh, so the entire issue is uh, this insane big pirate space epic and treasure hunt that Groot and Rocket are on, but it's told from Groot, so the only words in the entire issue are, I am Groot. <laughs> <laughs> it, it reminded me a lot of the uh, Nuff Said event from yeah. the early 2000s. Sure. It was really fun. Yeah, and I mean, that was the challenge, and, and, and Jake Parker, I, I drew the opening scene and the end scene, and uh, my, my really good friend Jake Parker drew the story, who, who went on to draw a lot of the issues of Rocket near the end. But my goal was, so deep for the I am Groot, to Sound effects had to say I am Groot, so it could be Bang or Pow, it had to be I am Groot. Um, taxi cabs had to say I am Groot. So, like, so, you know, like every city sign, it could say Coca-Cola, it had to say I am Groot. Um, so, you know, they tell a story of I am, they tell this whole story of I am Groot, and they, they finish, and uh, he's like, I am Groot, you know, and, and uh, the kids are like, no idea what he said. <laughs> no idea, but there's one kid it looks like a leaf. It's amazing! It's a great story. Um, so that that's that was that was one I'm most proud of because I was really um, I thought I was going to look like a complete half core mad genius. Uh, so who knows which one I, came out? I think it was the latter. That was probably one of the best single issues of uh, like that entire. Was that last year? It was last year. That, the entire year, yeah, easily. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it was it was really good. I, I enjoyed the uh, the uh, the story arc in the snow planet. That was where, oh, yeah. where Groot's injured. That was a fun, like, kind of almost really pulpy, more pulpy than the other stories of adventure story. Yeah, you know, the thing that I'm really happy with what we've accomplished and what I've learned as a writer working with artists is being an artist myself. I really wanted to play to whoever was working with me's strengths. Because it's very easy in this business as an artist to get teamed up with a writer and you never talk. Especially on a work-for-hire book. You might get a job on a, on a book and 
There, there's been times where I've drawn nine issues and then didn't talk to the writer till I was done oh, man. with the books. And they were like, oh, I like what you did. Like, what you did. Like, we didn't ever talk about what we would do. So for this, it was, it was very much the opposite. If you notice, like, the issues that I did with Jake Parker, Jake Parker is amazing at drawing robots. He's amazing at drawing vehicles and things like that. So his stories, I always made sure they were really angled towards the things that he likes to draw. So Rocket would team up with Mech to free Mechs who have been enslaved. And, you know, he has motorcycles that turn into jetpacks when he jumps off of, you know. So the, because I know Jake is amazing at that. Jake grew up watching Gundam and, and all these things. So I wrote Rocket into a Gundam Mech, you know, things like that. And on this flip side, I think Felipe Andrade, who did those two issues, I think that he has such a sense of epic storytelling and uh, such a cool distorted sci-fi sense sensibility as far as character designs and structure and shape and mask go that uh, I wanted to lean into that. So when I knew that he was coming on to do some issues, I switched it up. And and that was my first one where I went back to, you know, stretch it out a little bit and do a two-issue arc. Yeah. I really wanted to give Felipe some chance to draw some of those snow vistas and make these big monsters and things like that. So, yeah. yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it was cool. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> What else have you been working on? Is there anything like new announced? I'm sure there's probably at this at this juncture in the year in this press cycle, there's probably not a lot you can talk about, huh? Yeah, it's tough. I, I know, there's some things that will be coming up. I mean, obviously, right now I'm writing and drawing giant sized little Marvel, yeah, uh, which is basically my baby covers as a book. You know, it's like the X Men and Avengers fighting with each other over. Uh, they all live in a town called Marville, and a new kids moving to town. A set of twins. And both teams think that uh, that's pretty sweet. So they're fighting to see who will they be mutants or will they be on the Avengers. And it's a good meta commentary there. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> did, did Marvel give you any uh, any guff over that? Like this is a, this is hitting home a little. No, bit. you know what? <laughs> Here's the thing: is sometimes I think they just they, sometimes they let me do so much of what I want that I don't know if they even pay attention. <laughs> if they did get it they're either either they don't care or they didn't get it at all so, um, somewhere along the line someone's going to be like wait a minute yeah so I have the two teams are fighting over which team the twins will win on and really it's just you know every page is just some cool fun stuff with, you know all of our favorite characters doing ironic stuff or you know sometimes I really I, I build up something that we've done in the past and sometimes you know we poke fun of some of the things we've done in the comic books in the past because sometimes we do ridiculous stuff <laughs> so uh, I'm working on that right now post Secret Wars again we can't talk about it. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be announced soon but if you have liked anything that I've done in the past year you will like what I'm going to do next so I, that, I'll awesome. say that <laughs> on, on, on the Marvel front and then what I'm really really excited about is my first creator owned book at Image Comics awesome called I Hate Fairyland yeah. wow well, well, what's what's the elevator pitch for I Hate Fairyland I Hate Fairyland is a little girl a little 8 year old girl 6 to 8 years old who thinks that it would be really cool to be whisked away to a magical world called, you know, a fairyland, like all kids do. You know, we all uh, yeah. watch Neverending Story and out, read Alice in Wonderland and Wizard of Oz and think, what a cool existence that would be. And so she wishes it and it happens. She goes off to fairyland and they say, all you have to do is find a key to go home, have an adventure and you'll be home. And then she's stuck there for 30 years. <laughs> and uh, so she's a 40-year-old in an 8-year-old's body. And she's been eating sugar for 40 years. So she has like type 39 diabetes. <laughs> wow. Um, so uh, she hates it. It's the worst place on the planet. How many people in here have kids? 
lot of people, right? So that first time you sit there on the couch with your kid and you watch that show and you're like, oh, oh, this Yo Gabba Gabba, what a cute, weird show, right? You watch that one episode, you're like, God, that was just a cute episode. <laughs> and then two weeks later, when you're on the 145th time of watching that one episode, you think, I'm going to shoot myself in the face. <laughs> I can't imagine, I cannot remember a time before I watched this episode. Um, and so it's a little bit of that, a little bit of that like, oh my gosh, things that we thought were really cute and amazing when you're eight, you know, like the riddling slug lord, you know, who has a riddle. That is really funny and cute when you're eight, but when you're 40, you're like, oh my God, just give me the answer. <laughs> um, or so, I'll beat it out of you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or I will take my axe and chop your face off. Um, so it's really, if you took uh, the, the comics and things that I grew up reading, like Sergio Aragonis's Gru, or Keith Giffen's Lobo, and Trencher, <laughs> or, or Jamie Hewlett and, and Martin's Tank Girl, and you shove that into Alice in Wonderland, that's my book. That's a good elevator pitch. Yeah. When, when does this start? Uh, in October. It'll be out, the first issue will be out October, and then... Um, Right now, I'm just planning to keep on doing it. So uh, my first arc, it'll be five issues, and then we'll follow it up with the second arc, and we'll keep on going as long as you guys support it. That's awesome. I'm really excited to read it. Thank you. There's a Q&A after this point in the panel, and there, there were some good questions, there were some good answers, but there's one in particular that I wanted to share. Someone asked whether or not uh, Scotty Young had seen a sequence that was in a recent episode of Ultimate Spider-Man featuring his art style animated. That's just one of those cool things that after having done this job for so long, people that you know from different areas just start getting jobs at other places and all of a sudden you're like, oh, you're an executive producer at the, at the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon. And so I literally just got a call one day and they were like, hey, we're going to do this comic book history scene of Peter Porker, you know, Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, do you want to do the origin story of him? And I was like, oh, like design in there? Like, no, it'll be on screen, you know, because I've, I've worked in animation a lot in doing development stuff, character design, background design, things like that. But what I do rarely ever actually makes the screen because it's a lot of stuff and then other people go draw the official stuff. Um, so it was definitely really cool to, to actually make drawings and then see it animated on a cartoon. Well, that is really neat. I actually, I know everybody's been raving about the show. I've never yeah. seen it. I had no idea that happened. Yeah, it's funny. I think it was just very recently they aired it, right? Yeah, I mean, I drew, I think I drew it about two years ago. <laughs> wow. About maybe a year and a half ago, I think I drew it. And I think it just aired very recently. Wow. That's why, like, when she asked, I was like, oh, yeah, I did do that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> for all that work that you've done uh, that hasn't made it to the screen for the shows, what, what have you worked on? Oh, well, early on, um, like, right when I got started at Marvel, um, it, right away, because I have kind of an animated, like, cartoon style and, Craig Kyle and Chris Yost, who a lot of people know who are writing some Xbox, but they were also very big deals in the animation world. Wolverine the X-Men. Yep, yep. And, and right before before that, they around the time that the before the first Hulk movie came out, they were working with Universal and we were developing a show called they were developing a show called Hulks. Hmm. And it was like a family of Hulks or something like that. And, and um, I basically designed that from top to bottom, like designed all, the whole family. And it, I mean, when I say this, you're kind of like, there's various rounds of development in that world, right? So you get a pitch accepted, then you build a story Bible, then you build an art Bible, and on, on, on the line. But, so we built that backgrounds, characters, the whole shebang. And then 
I was too young in the business to get the super details, but I imagine that Hulk movie came out, didn't do super well, <laughs> and they were kind of like, eh, we're probably not going to do a Hulk series. <laughs> you know, There was that. I did some stuff, character designs uh, for things like Legion of the Superheroes for DC, uh, Warner Brothers, when they had stuff on the air. You know, the Thundercats show that has been on most recently? Yeah. Well, that thing was in development for, I cannot tell you how long. Ever. Really? Oh, so many... So many of my friends have worked on that character. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it almost felt like every six months, one of us would get called up to redo designs for that show. And, and it just kind of kept going through different versions and different versions. I mean, there was, there was literally a version once where they were high school kids. And one of them wore a leather jacket. <laughs> and then he would say, like, Thundercats ho, and then turn into a cat. <laughs> so, yeah. so, man yeah. someone should like collect all yeah. that stuff yeah. <laughs> that's, that's I, insane I think the one I didn't enjoy that one that much <laughs> I think that time when they actually said let's give him the leather jacket I was like eh, I think I'm gonna quit so, <laughs> um, but the one right after the one after that that I think I had the most fun on was there was a Lost Boys show in development um, the vampire Lost yeah, Boys yep. there was for a kids yep uh, Whoa! It was, it was basically kind of you know it's kind of centered on you know the, like the Frog Brothers, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're but it's really cool, man. They had like the groups of vampires. I mean, that, that sounds awesome. I'm just yeah. shocked that it ever even well, came. It definitely like, didn't get made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it started to. Yeah, that yeah. alone is all, crazy. And there was a lot of stuff. That, again, that was a lot of stuff developed. And you know, around that time, it was around the, the Thundercats one and the, um, and the Lost Boys one. And there's probably, you know, eight or nine other shows that were original concepts that I helped build, again, that didn't go anywhere. And then I would usually just be two guys that pitched, got a green light to develop further or whatever. But around the, around the time that the Lost Boys and the, and the Thundercats won is when I kind of decided that I don't think that that kind of work is for me. Mm. It wasn't fulfilling in the same way that coming up with a story, writing it down, drawing pictures for it, and it coming out was. Because... It's very tough to like pour yourself into something and care about it and it literally not be able to be shown to anybody. Because I think art, whether you're a painter or a poet or a musician or a writer, you make that stuff to share with people. You're expressing thoughts and then you want to share those thoughts with the world, right? And that was the stuff where you keep expressing thoughts and then just keep putting it in a drawer. Yeah. All my thoughts are in that drawer, you know? Like Neil Gaiman once talked about that when somebody asked him why he doesn't work on more movie scripts and he said, because Hollywood just takes the stuff we write and they put it on a shelf. And I don't like my words to live on a shelf. Yeah. I like my words to live in your home, you know. And it's, it's kind of why I think comics are so... Why I chose comics to really uh, push forward in more than the animation side, which pays a lot more. <laughs> it's so much more. But it's just not fulfilling in the same way as telling a story and being able to instantly share it with everybody and see what they think. You know? And then do that again and keep repeating it. Like I said with the Ultimate Spider-Man thing, you know, that was something I drew a year and a half ago, and I'm just now hearing people talk about it, you know, which is like, oh, yeah, I've moved on, like, to 35 other things, you know, so it's, <laughs> it's interesting. So, like I said before, that was not the only panel I moderated. At some point in the very near future, we're going to have another panel I moderated released as a Patreon perk, and it is a panel on violence in comic books with a lot of awesome people including the creative team behind The Humans, Kagan McLeod of Captara, and uh, you may remember him from an earlier Nerdy Show episode when we talked about his book Infinite Kung Fu, and awesome Wolverine and Weapon X writer Frank Thierry. 
And last but definitely not least, Andy Belanger, the artist for Southern Cross. You can find that along with a ton of new Patreon perks over on Patreon. In fact, Jess, we've got some Patreon perks from Comic-Con coming up soon. We do. Some special Cartoon Network exclusives that we had, yeah? Yeah, we did some roundtable discussions with the cast and uh, crew of Adventure Time, Regular Show, Uncle Grandpa. Steven Universe. Yes, and it was uh, a lot of fun. Short things and uh, audio quality, listenable. But uh, definitely more for our reference rather than uh, things that we would be comfortable presenting to you as a podcast. But still enjoyable. Yeah, lots very of, cool. Lots of great answers to questions, and I think people really like listening to it. Yeah, we, we've done a lot of that lately with all the events we've been covering this summer. For example, we did an article about Rock Band 4 at E3 this year, and we had an interview with uh, one of the dudes from Harmonix. It was mostly just to pull quotes, but it was a great interview, so it's a Patreon perk now. So if you haven't subscribed to us on Patreon, you totally should. All you got to do is go to patreon.com slash nerdy show. You support the entire Nerdy Show network, not just this program, but you get a ton of awesome perks. Really giving the opportunity when a lot of times with articles, we're presumptuous enough to assume what you might actually be interested in. But with the full interview, maybe there's some stuff we missed and you would really like to know about yeah a quick rundown of some of the stuff that we have articles on or will have articles on nasa yes nasa had an awesome panel well except for one glaring exception but uh you're, i don't know if we should even you, talk you'll about you'll find that. out about that yeah. you'll find out about I'll, that when you read the article i'll go on a rant that just won't end but anyway nasa was great talking about future space plans for actually getting to mars and it it seems like it's going to happen soon check out the article for everything they're doing I was at the Miami Vice 30th anniversary panel with uh, Miami Vice stars, Edward James Olmos, Olivia Brown, and Michael Talbot. Yes, I did not say Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas. They were not there, but the, the heart of the show, some of my favorite supporting cast members were there, and it was incredible. If you enjoyed Miami Vice at all, one, you should be reading the awesome comic from Lion Forge, and two, you should check out this article because I learned some stuff, and I... I wasn't really sure there was anything more to say about the show, but no, like, incredible stories were told. We saw the figurines for Cryptozoic's Ghostbusters board game. We heard some stuff about uh, the new Ghostbusters film. We heard some stuff about the Adventure Time film. All kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. It's, been, it's been busy. It's kind of a blur right now. Yeah, it seems, it seems all like yesterday was today and tomorrow was Thursday. And, yeah. You know, who knows? Yeah, but. we're a bit mixed up at the moment. There's going to be links to where you can check out all of our Comic-Con coverage on this episode's page. But we mentioned Patreon. We got to give some shout-outs to some awesome people, new folks who have just joined up with us. First, R. Scott Deirdrich, and I'm really sorry if I mispronounced that. I feel you with the last name Ullman. People have no idea how to say that either, and so I apologize profusely if I said that wrong. That's okay. We have another person whose name we might botch because uh, yeah. I don't know how to say it. It's either Olmeld or Ole Melde. Yeah. <laughs> I think I like Ole Melde, <laughs> and if that's not how they're going, they should totally use pronunciation. <laughs> and then Bradley Wilk. Nice, simple, yep. beautiful, Straightforward. Bradley Wilk. Way to go, Bradley. Knows Way what he be. wants. Way to be born with that name. <laughs> Bold choice, <laughs> Mr. Wilk. And then also, you can contribute to Nerdy Show in standalone donations. And if you do so, you can leave us a message and we will read it. That's at nerdyshow.com slash support. So as has become a monthly tradition at this point, the Kruger siblings, Caitlin and Ethan Kruger, 
leave us tandem messages where they will post in different increments until they've completed some kind of larger statement. And in this case, uh, I think you might get the, uh, the reference for this, which they've changed some words to. Jess and I are going to do back and forth here to, uh, to take on the roles of Caitlin and Ethan. All right. Yes, this is a fertile podcast, and it will thrive. We will listen over this podcast, and we will call it This Podcast. I think we should call it Your Grave. Ah, curse your sudden but inevitable trail. <laughs> Mine is an evil donation. Now die! Oh no, God, dear God in heaven. Hoban Washburn already pitched the Jurassic Park reboot we actually wanted. <laughs> Thank you, Kruger siblings. Truer words were never spake, though there is much dissent in the nerdy show ranks as to, <laughs> as to how good a film Jurassic yeah. World was. Feel free to take that argument to the forums where it is already well underway. And maybe we can talk about the scientist cosplay girl that we saw. Yeah. In heels. Intriguing. In heels. Yeah. All, all day. Accurate. Yeah. So, you know, girl power? <laughs> the question mark yeah. is an important feature yeah. of that statement. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you've been following these past few months worth of episodes, you'll know that I'm in the midst of a massive convention tour, and it is sort of kind of about to end, I'm happy to say, though it's been very good. After Comic-Con, I'm going directly to Tucson, Arizona, where I'm going to the first annual, perhaps only, who can say at this point, Camp Fangamer, which is a boutique convention put on by the amazing folks at Fangamer who make incredible nerd apparel and are also responsible for amazing fan projects like, say, the translation of Mother 3, the sequel to Earthbound. And this is a event celebrating Earthbound's 20th anniversary, which will be presided over by luminaries from both the fan community as well as some folks who actually worked on the game. And from what little I know of what's actually going down there, it's going to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience that I'm so excited about. I hope I'm going to see some of you people there, you fine folks, and I'm putting on a couple panels. Actually, I, uh, for the first time ever, can actually talk about what those are and when they're happening. Fancy. Yeah. It's a two-day show. It's happening Saturday the 18th of July and the 19th of July. And the first panel I'm doing is on Saturday, and it's called XXX Today, and it's not meant to be a triple X thing, but it's a, it's a reference in Earthbound in the first town on net. There's a trivia question, and um, they want you to answer, like, the Beatles song, and then XXX Today, and you have to say yes or no. So the, the answer is not no today. Um, um, well, I guess how would that, if there, would it be, would it be Knox today, then? Would that X still stay? Oh, there? that's a fair question. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. Uh, but <laughs> that question will be not answered at this <laughs> panel, which is about pop culture in Earthbound, pop culture that both influenced the game, was clearly present in the game, like Beatles references, and other stuff, other insights. Then that evening at midnight, so hopefully people will be there, I'm putting on a screening of my favorite movie of all time. I could have other films challenge this distinction, but the reason I'm showing a film at this Earthbound festival is... That uh, this movie, I feel, is the only existing incarnation of an aspect of Earthbound in film. It really embodies an element of the game, and specifically the comedy of it. It's called True Stories, and it's a relatively obscure art comedy made by David Byrne, the frontman for The Talking Heads. It's uh, from 1986. It is Jonathan Goodman's first starring role. It's kind of a musical. And it is really funny and a really abstract, surreal representation of middle America, very much like 
all the strange humor from Earthbound. I feel like it's the closest thing we'll get to Earthbound. The movie, the only thing it's missing is the sci-fi. It's pretty amazing. I think I knew you for like a day and it was like, oh, you've never seen this movie? You need to watch it right now. And, you know, yeah, I appreciate it. Awesome. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> so I think this is probably the first time a lot of people have seen this movie and hopefully they'll all think so too, even though it's at midnight. I mean, it's a con. Everyone's up like the whole time. Yeah. I mean, especially it's only a two-day con. I mean, then... I know. I'm such a sleeper, though. I I just love sleep. Yeah, um, so do I. But you won't be getting any sleep after my panel at 6 p.m. on Sunday. Earthbound is spooky. Ooh. Which I will be presenting alongside David Welch, the developer of the awesome indie game Boot Hill Heroes. And it is an exploration of all of the darkness in Earthbound. A nice counterpoint to all the other panels I'm doing. David is a, a fan of the Lovecraftian elements in the mm. game, and I'm uh, I'm more interested in the uh, the psychologically paranormal aspects that sort of like the Twin Peaks element of the game. Let's say so. You interested in the Twin Peaksy elements? I'm I'm sh- shocking. I know. I'm so surprised. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah. But hopefully there will be some surprises in store for you as we uh, pick apart the most terrifying aspects of not just Earthbound, but um, the entire Mother series. So, that's in Tucson. You've got less than a week to get there. You're just learning about this, and you should totally come out. I think there's still some tickets, but it is a very limited availability. But uh, follow the links on this episode's page to where you can check all that out. Tune in next week, where, if everything goes according to plan, I will actually be passing the reins of Nerdy Show off to a completely different group of people for, like, kind of the first time ever. I mean, I'm not always the host. There's been stuff that's happened back in the day where I took vacations, (laughs) but the stream team is going to be doing a show. Uh, Tony, Trench, Steve-O, and Brushfire, who do our our Twitch stream, are all going to be getting together and doing some kind of a program, I think. That sounds exciting. That's at least the plan. Who's going to be Neocap? I don't know. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) But it's a much needed uh, break because I'm going to have a preloaded schedule. Yeah. Are you, are you just going to sleep for a week? Because that's probably what I would do. I am really going to try. Yeah. I'm thinking about digging a hole in the yard, it's, it's a snorkel, just and yeah, just... just... <laughs> a single... That, that'll definitely... That'll work. Yeah. That, my lungs won't fill up with no, rain. No, Why would that happen no, in Florida? Not, yeah. <laughs> or just soak in from the general, you know, wet ground of digging three feet and hitting water. That sounds kind of nice when you put it that way. Yeah, that's true. It could be like a mud bath. Like a dirt pool. Like, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> People, people pay a lot of money for that shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. So uh, I will either see you in Tucson or I will see you in a couple weeks on the next episode of Nerdy Show. Uh, anyway, this has been a weird rambly during Comic-Con episode with some stuff from Heroes Con yeah. instead of Comic-Con. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it. Taking us out on the theme of Scotty Young and all of his awesome books. Here is a track Adam Warrock recorded, surprise, surprise, in uh, 2013. It's about Rocket Raccoon and it's called Murdered You. Stone Quadrant Fellow Guardian Save Star-Lord From the negative zone I'm hardly ever noticed But a master with the guns And the strategy Backing me up It's the best team In the galaxy Yes, he's a tree But he's my best friend And Gamora's the deadliest woman In all the land And Drax Well, his name says it all Destroy shit Once, once a time league No, it employed this raccoon But now that I saved the earth People doubt me And for everything in its worth Back by Stark Industries Something bigger is coming And so we're armed With every gun on the market Bit obsessive and compulsive When I'm cruising in space and using my jet propulsion Point a gun in your face, no you think it's absurd 
I'm a fucking raccoon with the last words you heard. Bram, murdered you. Bram, murdered you. Better tell your people that a raccoon is hurting you. Bram, murdered you. Bram, murdered you. Kill him, it's fucking raccoon. Bram, murdered you. Bram, murdered you. Better tell your people a raccoon is hurting you. Bram, murdered you. Bram, murdered you. Kill him, it's fucking raccoon. There's Astro, he used to hold the shield. Score major victories for Earth out there in the field. And Yondu had a dope mohawk and star. Charlie 27 was a brute and a man. Martin X was a genetically modified scientist. The modern team that exists, we protect Earth the best and keep a steady watch. And yo, we never rest. And Quill lost his mother when we all lost loved ones. That's why we fight so it doesn't happen again. If you need a guardian, put your faith in some aliens from outer space. Don't delay. And just remember, when that gun's to your face of the rocket raccoon, well then you might hear me say, Bram, murdered you. Bram, murdered you. Better tell your people that Thanks for listening to Nerdy Show. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes or like and follow us on SoundCloud. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via Patreon. Any size contribution gets you exclusive outtakes, episodes, and images from across the network, and there's even more perks available. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. You can subscribe to Nerdy Show via iTunes and SoundCloud. Leave a comment, like and share, and follow Nerdy Show on all your favorite social networks. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and other awesomeness, visit nerdyshow.com. If it's geeky, we got it covered. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.